no, no, no. <laughs> just by, by your head down, yeah. Right, there we go, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm just trying to get a picture for the doctor. You both look like my swollen testicles. So, Ozzy, what I do is I keep a mental record of all this stuff. Because if, if you look at Gav's uh, hairline, do you know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not going to be soon, but it's yeah, going to yeah, fucking yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, and it's just... No. Drip feed these ones back to him just bit by bit. Just bit by bit. We'll, we'll all be in the same camp soon enough. Man, it's gonna it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen to me, but I just pray that it doesn't because like you two, you've got decent head shapes, you know what I mean? You suit you suit bald heads. You literally I, just said we look like testicles, but carry on. Yeah, yeah. Bent over, bent over, like bird's eye view. <laughs> but like but I, I do I do not have a good head shape. It's it, it's sort of angular and pointy. I'm just going to look like an anorexic Moby. <laughs> <laughs> a, a more anorexic Moby. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And this week is the continuation and culmination of our prestigious Michael Wincott season as we put the 2022 horror sci-fi film Nope on trial. Is it Nope or is it Yep? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks man. Uh, I've got I've got a backup one of you on that instead. Go on. Is it a UFO or is it an IOU one decent film? Again, you've you've gone too far on your own. Too far. Yeah, <laughs> I should. I should. Yeah. Just... And do you know, what? I thought that was okay, but I'm guessing you got another one that's too far. No, like, no, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have any more. Right. I'm out. Of, I'm out of the tank of late now. I've learned where the bar is. As he, as he hastily a hides bit. a piece of paper under the desk. <laughs> Why a fair? Oh, I was thinking about a uh, horse wrangler and then nay, because that's what horses say. But... Oh yeah, no. is it is it nope or is it nay? There you go. Uh, there you go. That, now, listen to this man. Completely unscripted banter <laughs> of a gold star. <laughs> solid. This is solid stuff. Goes to show you, Gav, what you're capable of when you got a professional writer behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, we're going to be finding out if this film will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. But before we do, let's talk about our last trial, which was the 1994 comic book action fantasy, The Crow. Ozzy judged that trial and inexplicably deems that it should be placed on the shit list. Now, Ozzy has gone away and watched the film, hopefully realised that he's made a terrible mistake. But let's find out. Ozzy, did you make the right call, yes or no? Yes, I did make the right call, but... For probably the wrong reasons, to be honest with you, is I can understand the appeal of such a film if you're a teenage angsty yeah. <laughs> Yes, right. It's it's good in that regard, but it's actually a shit film. It's it's all hype, yeah, yeah. it's all bluster, and it's uh, and teenage angsty goths don't want people to like it and put it on a hit list. Do you know what I mean? They'd hate that. So yeah, it's on the right list. So if anything, it's, it's, we're doing them a favour. Yeah, in yeah. some ways, yeah, we're we're keeping it a cult classic. We're keeping it away from the masses, and that's what they want. They want to be other, and um, 
and that's what this film is all about. It's a proper, you can tell the sort of person who's going to like this film from a mile away. Like, I think because essentially yeah. it was all but 20 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, like some, some of us haven't changed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm talking know, about me. I see, unfortunately, you over the years have turned into a character from Guess Who. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, pale, pale dots, uh, I think is essentially it. But you know, I, I don't think it's a terrible thing. I would have liked this 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, but uh, it's just a bit, it's just a bit naff, isn't it? Yeah. Really. Yeah. So, I, th- yeah. I think, I think the, maybe the reason I like it is that. I, I've got an affinity with the character. I feel like as the years are going on, I'm looking more and more like a, the corpse of a man who was <laughs> shot. Was murdered, out of murdered a year ago. <laughs> come back for revenge. <laughs> revenge on who, we don't know. <laughs> okay, right. Thank you very much for that, Ozzy. Now on to the trial. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Dave. And Dave is just like Gordy the Chimp. <laughs> here, here we go, Dave. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Buckle Harry, up, Dave. <laughs> Harry, naked and mad at the world. Uh, you know, Gordy wears pants and, and a striped shirt. Oh, but underneath Apart from when clothes, he's in a rage, got, <laughs> he's, he's naked. He got me there. Yeah. Naked and blood soaked. Other yeah. people's yeah. blood. I went in a, in a rage. Yeah, you got me there. Fair play. <laughs> and joining Dave will be Alex, who is just like Daniel Kaluuya's character, OJ. He just won't stop banging on about the Scorpion King. <laughs> yeah, Alex, we know The Rock is one of the greatest actors of all time, but you've got to let it go, man. We actually went to see that together, didn't we, in Crosby Cinema? <laughs> we did. We, didn't we go for somebody's birthday party and we accidentally sat in the complete wrong bit of the cinema? We, we didn't accidentally. We, <laughs> we went and sat in the wrong part of the cinema, though. That's true. <laughs> Great times. Uh, okay, so acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is me. And I'm like Keith David's character, Ota Senior. I spend more time in hospital than I do working. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thank you very much, guys. And now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, however, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think. And this week, in the role of judge, who has to decide which list the film should be placed on hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, is Ozzy, who is just like Brendan Perrier's character, Angel. A tech-savvy, but creepy fucking weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? I don't think the character was like that, but yeah. But... <laughs> it's a bit unfair on the character, but yeah. <laughs> now, before we get started, I think that we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. So what we do here is we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week it has landed on Dave. So how, I mean, do we even have to ask how we would like Dave to read out the synopsis? Do you wink up, Dave? Wink up. Do you wink up, Dave? Do, do the wink up. Um, okay, so he's actually American in this one for once, isn't he? Unlike American. The Robin well, Hood, it, Prince of Thieves wink up. 
it's hard to know through all the gravel, but yeah, you can. He's, you can he's <laughs> raspy, isn't he? He's raspy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Okay, so raspy Michael Wincott, I guess. The residents of a lonely gulch in inland California bear witness to an uncanny and chilling discovery. Goodness me, Dave. I've got to admit, I did love that bit where he's singing at the table. I say singing, rasping his way through 90s <laughs> novel <laughs> songs. Extremely <laughs> tra- terrifying song. <laughs> one horned, flying purple people eater. Oh my god. Wow, that's very good. That <laughs> Dave, very you need good. to like. Make audiobooks doing them as Michael Winkle. No, I just think we need to get Michael Winkle to record an entire album of 1950s novelty songs. Yeah. Ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang. I think that maybe we can do a little side project here for a little extra money and and get do films on trial ASMR and just have Dave read them. Sorry, if that that relaxes you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If Michael Wincott menacingly growling novelty songs is relaxing, then, well, each to their own. Each Everybody's got their own kinks, Dave. It's... Dave just <laughs> eating popcorn and every now and again being like, mm. <laughs> 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 mm. tasty. <laughs> and then throwing in some facts about Michael Wincott's life every now and again. <laughs> make, make this an armchair by the fire and you got a deal. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I think without further hesitation, Austin, as the judge, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yeah, well, um, I think it's only, I mean, the, the, it's traditional that we start with the defense to really set up the storyline and, you know, just tell us why it's a good, what makes this such a novel novel movie and, and, and why should I love it? Uh, he'd previously done Get Out and his second film was Us, both very successful. Here comes his third uh, entry into the horror canon. And it's a good Nozzy. It's a good. And the guy is three for three as far as I'm concerned. Now, this one is very different from his previous films. This one concerns, I suppose you'd say, a UFO. Now, it takes place in, like, as, as Michael Wincott, slash, slash me, just told you, in this gulch out in the middle of the uh, the desert in Agua Dulce in California. So away from L.A. in the city, it's in the desert area of California. Um, and your main characters are Otis, uh, O.J. Haywood, Otis Jr., his where I guess OJ from, played by Daniel Kaluuya, and his sister M. And they are, well, Otis in particular is a horse wrangler. So he mm-hmm. looks after horses. He's got a little ranch there that his dad used to own. He used to train horses with his father for the film industry, for TV and film. And his father passes away very suddenly at the start of the film. Um, a nickel falls from the sky, goes through in, into his father's eye socket, and he rushed into hospital, can't save him. Catastrophic injury. Where did it come from? It's an absolute mystery. It's one of those things you'll hear a term throughout the film called a bad miracle. We're like something so unbelievable, so uncanny. You'd think it was miraculous, but for the fact that it's caused trauma or that it's a disaster of some kind. And strange things start happening. They start losing horses from the ranch. The ranch itself is struggling anyway. He's having to sell some horses to this local... um, I suppose you call it like a Wild West experience with a former child actor who's got a kind of a ranch experience. They're based on one of his films when he, he made when he was a kid, and he does like Wild West shows and things like that. He's having to sell his horses, well, loan them in his mind to him to try and keep the ranch going. His sister comes back to try and uh, to help keep the business going, and yeah, the, he realizes that the horses are being taken. They're being abducted, if you will, off there by this 
what appears to be a flying saucer. When you eventually do see it, it looks like a flying saucer. Now, the twist, and spoiler alert, is that this is very different from any other UFO movie insofar as the creature, it, it, it is a creature and not a spaceship. It's not a transport, and it's not like abducting them for any like science experiments like we've seen before in alien movies. This is eating them. The okay, saucer as we know it, yeah, it's a creature, not a craft. So that is the strange bit. Uh, and that's the unique bit. And what you've got here is a film that is incredibly original and unlike anything you'll have ever seen before, even though it sounds familiar. You think you know UFO movies? You don't. Okay, well, that sounds super interesting. Um, I don't know whether, just while Gab's getting himself back together, again, do you, are you ready to fire back at that? Or do you want yeah, uh, yeah, all, all, all good. Alex to say a little bit? Okay, go on, Gav. Let me hear why this is a not interesting, not a very uh, good take on the UFO creepy sci-fi horror movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen I, I i would massively disagree with dave i think it's the exact opposite i don't think this is very original at all really and i don't really blame jordan peele for it because when you have made one of the greatest debut films of all time and then followed it up with a stellar sophomore offering it's always going to be hard to create a third film that would stand up to those incredibly high standards so it was always going to be a difficult job and when the initial trailers and teasers started coming out there was a lot of fanfare a lot of potential and a lot of intrigue but unfortunately nope just doesn't deliver now don't get me wrong right there are a lot of positives and i imagine that dave and alex are going to go into these quite a bit later on it's very impressive it's huge scale spectacle film and it's the first horror movie to be shot with imax cameras so it feels like a big like a like a big budget blockbuster movie and add to that the brilliant cinematography of fre frequent christopher nolan collaborator hoyt van hoytemer and right chill what's yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's gonna do great things wasn't he <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just a guy who walks into a room and just gets what he wants <laughs> just by telling him his name and um that's that as well the chilling skull of michael abels it all adds up to a very beautiful picture however it's all spectacle and no substance pretty much like one of ricky dupe's attractions <laughs> now tonally the film feels a little off it's a mishmash of several different styles you've got horror sci-fi you've got bits of western in there you've got hints of comedy and there are so many homages there's so many different types of films that at several points, they often feel like carbon copies of other better films. There's this chilling opening scene and subsequent subplot featuring Dupe and Gordy, the killer chimp that we alluded to before. But its relevance to the rest of the plot is confusing and feels like a separate Twilight Zone-esque story from an anthology series that has been tacked onto the film. And it's not just that one weak plot point. There are so many intriguing subplots that go nowhere or aren't fully resolved which i'll go into much detail about later on but it just leaves you with so many questions at the end of the film that you have to go away and do a bit of homework to try and figure out some of the answers now i, I don't mind having a film that leaves you with some unanswered questions because you know you can go away and debate it in the pub with your friends afterwards but with a two-hour runtime i feel like there shouldn't be that many unresolved plot points especially when the main story of general group band together to photograph an alien isn't a particularly complex or detailed point that needs to be told over such a long time and with that runtime, 
you would hope that the characters would be fleshed out and have satisfying character arcs. But that, unfortunately, isn't the case. And there are some characters who feel very underdeveloped and whose characters don't really go anywhere. And all of this, basically, it just adds up to a very pretty disappointing film, especially because I was so hyped after the tree after the teasers and trailers beforehand there were so many eerie strange creepy and or potentially horrifying images but when we watched the film those scenes were either quite ordinary and or a bit of a letdown like you've got this shadowy mirror-faced biker with a camera that ends up being a bit of a joke character that makes i'm gonna say a one minute appearance he turns out to be a vlogger You've got this creepy scene in a bar where OJ encounters aliens, which turns out to be neighborhood kids wearing elaborate costumes. You've got a scene with a mysterious character missing part of their face. And when you get to watch the film, they appear for literally three seconds of the entire film and then don't appear again. As I said, there's so much promise, so much intrigue, but it's just poorly delivered. So overall, I feel that this is a lot like Lost, the TV show for me. This beautifully crafted big spectacle piece that starts off with a bang has lots of intrigue but then as it progresses with these sprawling subplots that are unresolved it ends with a pretty underwhelming finale so if you're thinking about watching this film ozzy i've got one word for you nope son of a bitch a great a great starting argument a great flourish so alex this is going for you overhyped but underwhelmed yeah, no, I, I think Gav was a, a bit of a, a victim of his own his own hype, I think. I think, you know, he was watched the trailers. The trailers got nothing to do with the film. You know, the trailers and the marketing isn't on trial. You know, Gav watched the trailers and had in, in his mind what the film was going to be. And then the film wasn't that. But, you know, I don't think we can blame the film for not living up to what, you know, Gav wanted it to be. I think there was a lot of expectation. And I think the, the, the same expectation and hype wasn't put on get out and us because people were shocked by get out because it was so original new but i think people had started to get some idea of what they were expecting then which is exactly what people enjoyed about get out was the fact that they hadn't used a trailer and then they started to get a bit more of a clearer idea of what nope was going to be and again jordan peele being an original making an original film has not typecast himself as a director and he's made an original film and the thing about an original film is you do bring in lots of different genres you know you're not just a horror film it's not just a thriller it's not just a comedy it does become you know mishmashes and that is not a nice way of saying it but an original way of telling a story doesn't mean you're going to have the the old tropes that that go to it this is an original way of telling this story it is a very innovative way of telling what is a, a ufo story i think there were no for me there were absolutely no unresolved plot points in this film at all like i i know gav's doing gav gav's putting his bottom lip out i can see that i can see that but, <laughs> but I'm say, <laughs> <laughs> oh, i wish it was a video podcast uh, like the use of gordy so gordy's a chimp at the start and he's in this tv show that dupe uh, is um a part of when he was a child and the chimp went crazy and you know attacked everyone this links really well in with the rest of the film you know a lot of the film i think a th big theme of it is exploitation the the animals being exploited at the beginning of the film i would also say dupe himself as a child asian actor is being 
you know, his his race and as being, you know, as, as a comedy comic character, he's being exploited as well. So there's, you know, all the way through the whole, the fact it's on a horse farm, are they exploiting the horses? No, because there's, you know, you start to realize, no, that the, the relationship he has, you know, that OJ has with the horses is he looks after them and he cares for them. He's not exploiting them. He uses them to, mo he monetizes them, but he looks after them. So the, the, I just think the film's absolutely fascinating. That leads Dupe to later, after his experience with Gordy, uh, to then try to monetize and exploit this alien that will ultimately causes absolute havoc when all of the people, all the spectators are killed. And, you know, he can't, because that's what he's learned to do, you know, and that's what, and also, sorry, and linking back into the beginning of the film, a, a lot, many times it's mentioned what the first cinema, the, the first shots ever made of, in cinema was of a black man riding a horse. And everyone, the point is made continuously throughout the film that everyone knows the name of the, the white man who filmed it, but no one knows the name of the black jockey who was on the horse. You know, that's been lost to, to consign to history. Again, talking about that exploitation within films about spectacle about, and, you know, and then the rest of the film, they're trying to, they are trying to capture it's not just trying to escape an alien. And this is what makes it so interesting and innovative. They're not just trying to escape this alien. They're not just trying to get away from the dangers of it. They're trying to capture it. They're trying to get it on film so they can be in control of the story. They don't want someone else coming along as has always happened in history, in cinema, to dupe, to Gordy, someone coming along and taking away and exploiting them and taking what, you know, their value. They're determined to keep it for themselves. And, and I just think that's such an interesting way for the film to go, as well as them defeating this alien and looking after themselves. So I think the themes, I think the way this film carries itself, I think the, the all the different ways that it's, it's brought genres together just makes it an absolutely fascinating watch. And, you know, if you, if you, if you went in thinking, great, this is going to be another horror from Jordan Peele, because you feel like you've, I just, I'm really glad that he's just thrown a curveball. And so the next film you watch, you, you won't, I'm hoping there won't be this expectation and people like Gav won't be disappointed. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> on that, though, Gav, you, you just, you can't have your cake and eat it. You know, Gav, you think you know something and, you think you're better than everyone? That's what am I supposed to do with the cake? I bought it. Am I just supposed to sit there and look at it? Throw it out the window? What do I do with it? I'll see if I can't fucking eat it. I, there was, I think that's a good, good point that was made there about the cakes especially. But, um, <laughs> but um, Alex is saying that, that, yes, there is a lot of expectation. And one of the things we always, we, you know, we moan about off the podcast is that sometimes these trailers give away too much and you practically know what the film is before you even get started. Whereas this time, you thought you knew what the film was, and it completely wasn't that. And now you're upset. And and, and I think that's a fair point that maybe call me a hypocrite. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> he's working his way around to me <laughs> in, a, in a nicer way than that. I'm trying to I'm trying to put it more delicately than that. But yeah, yeah. Sometimes, Gav. <laughs> I think he's on uh, our side, Dave. I think we've got got George. Uh, on, on our, uh, I, I, to turn it back around. So the, the, uh, Alex mentions about this theme of exploitation. I suppose that ties nicely into some of the bits you were trying to speak about before about plot points and about um, you wanted to really touch on something earlier. I guess now's a good good enough time to go on it. Maybe you can speak about the themes of the of the film if there are any. You know, if it is as clear cut as as Alex is saying. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't really argue with what Alex is saying with regards to the, the, that plot point or the reason behind it. What I'm arguing about is the whole originality aspect of it, for which I don't think it's particularly original. And just to clarify with regards to the trailer, the trailer was also pretty awful, like every other trailer these days. It revealed far too much. But some of the more interesting aspects of the trailer ended up being a bit of a letdown, is what I'm saying. So it it felt like a bit of a sense of false advertising as well. But one of the things I loved most about Get Out and about us were they were just completely original. We felt like we hadn't seen anything like them before. Watching us, you, you didn't automatically think, oh, this is just like X or Y film. It felt fresh and brilliantly unique. Within the first 20 minutes or so of this, you've already drawn several parallels. You know, there's certain elements of Hitchcock, of Carpenter, of Spielberg, even of M. Night Shyamalan, you know, like, and <laughs> you can shake your heads, but it's true. And there are so, so, so many homages as well the Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Wizard of Oz, King Kong, E.T., even Akira. Akira. You know, yeah, exactly. Like, there's so many points where you're like, oh, that's just like that. Oh, that bit's from that. You're well done. He's he's doing a little nod to that film. These were all very nice and all, but after a while, it just films like a film that's made up of homages and or poor imitations of better scenes in better films. But there is breaks your disbelief almost because you think he's just lots of Easter eggs. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 just constantly. I'm thinking like, oh, this reminds me of another film, and Mm -hmm. that other film was better. And there is one film that stands out head and shoulders above all the other homages, and that's Jaws. It essentially is a remake of Jaws, or as I like to think of it, Sky Jaws. (laughs) There are... (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, Yeah, I'll let Dave, but yeah. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not. Right, so so there there are several character similarities. Daniel Kaluuya's character of OJ is Brody, essentially trying to stop the creature and assembling a team, including a gruff veteran who isn't afraid to go one-on-one with the beast, aka Quint, or in this case, our beloved Michael Wincott. Then you've also got a gifted young technical specialist, a.k.a. Hopper, or in this case, Brandon Perry's angel character. You've also got an authority figure who refuses to listen to the gang's pleas and instead puts people's lives at stake in order to make a profit, a.k.a. the mayor, or in this ta- in this case, Stephen Young's character, Dupe. Then you have the general story and structure of the film, which is essentially a homage or a bad copy, a shocking opening death scene, a monster that remains hidden for a large portion of the film, a prank that goes wrong, a character reciting a truly horrific encounter with a similar beast from their past, etc., etc. And then you have certain scenes which are almost carbon copies of those from Jaws. You've got the scene where they're trying to coax the monster out of hiding. In Jaws, they use barrels. In this case, they use the horse statue and flags. And then the final scene as well, which once again is eerily similar, where Chief Brody is trying to get the perfect shot away at the gas canister. Whereas in this case, nope, M is trying to get an equally difficult but different type of shot. So it just feels all too familiar. Right, sorry, so sorry, in that film, they put a gas canister in Jaws's mouth and blows it up. What's the similar thing that happens in this film? It's the final shot. They're basically trying to get one final shot. Of yeah, but what does she? What does the... she do? She 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 releases an inflatable park 
man that goes up into the alien and explodes. Yeah, it's exactly. not. Well, I don't know the parallels between Jaws. And, do you know what I mean? They're they're quite different scenes, aren't they, Gaff? Do you know what I mean? Smile, you son of a bitch, and a big <laughs> and a big giant alien thing eating yeah, 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 an inflatable. Do you know what I mean? Stephen Young. It's, it's, yeah, it's very similar. You know, it's very similar with, with, with the wink and, and making gun sounds. You know, I I, I just I, I could see how people didn't make the same parallels. You know well, those I mean? people are idiots, right? So, <laughs> like, I, I, you mentioned about numerous plot points before, or subplots that were introduced and never really go anywhere. Like, why did the creature change form in the last scene, Alex? Well, Dave mentioned before. This is one of the things that I found really interesting about the film at first is that the sort of the the UFO that we're used to seeing is basically the creature itself but it's like a, imagine like a, a like a, a snail basically or a turtle and that's its shell but it can come out of that at some point and then we've got the actual real creature at the very end comes out for some point later on it looks beautiful but the, I, I just don't, didn't understand why that happened then we've got this scene recurs throughout the film of the rampage um, on the TV set, the aftermath of it, essentially, and there's one shoe that's just stood up in the middle of the air, and Duke focuses on it, eventually putting it on display in his theme park. But why is it standing upright? Is it his perception of events? Is it the case that it's a bad miracle, like OJ was referring to? Does it have anything to do with the aliens? Did they affect the shoe and potentially go to his behavior? Or is it all just completely unrelated? Can I just answer that? Because, like, sorry, Dave, no, yeah, go on. Oh, no, yeah, no, no, go for it. No, it's just because it's like it is a miracle. He thinks he's a chosen one, doesn't he? He thinks he because he survived that attack by the chimp, he thinks he's been blessed and can exploit then. And so the fact that the shoe standing up was like a sign that, you know, some sort of divine thing. That's why he feels like he can then take this alien and, and you know, he feels like he's being chosen. He's special. Yeah, this was my interpretation yeah. of it as well. I agree with Alex. The theme of a bad miracle runs throughout. That yeah. shoe that he fixated on, it's like, how did... As the girl was attacked by the chimp, her shoe fell off and it stood up perfectly. That's a chance in a million. And he's fixated on that. Like, how? Bad miracle. It's something so uncanny, so unbelievable. And it happens during the, such a traumatic event. And it's, you feel it's so strange to focus on it. But that's what that theme is. Right. So uh, right. This, this is Alex and Dave's perception of the film. And the way they're talking about it is like it's crystal clear. Like you walk away and you're like, that's that. I would disagree. I think that like you can go away and you can form your own perception of it. It's not and like I, Jordan Peele comes ac across the side of the screen and says, by the way, guys, this is what I meant to do <laughs> in this point. No, no, no. <laughs> Just no, no. so everyone's clear. Oh, right. That's so, what I'm trying to do so we're talk, talking about character motivations right what i found his character motivation you you said that it's very clear that he's trying to do this and he's trying to profit from this i don't think that's the case you know did escaping unscathed from gordy leave him thinking that he could cheat death and bait this monstrous creature and that there wouldn't be any consequences or did it this that scarring childhood experience give him such a thrill that he has to create it later on with a bigger beast you know does he want to control the alien because he feels like he couldn't control gordy all those years ago or is it complete greed or power hunger is he trying to capture the alien solely for profit or notoriety is he reappropriating his childhood trauma and turning it into a sideshow exhibition is he just being naive you know thinking that he calmed down gordy all those years ago and now he can do the exact same thing with a bigger more unpredictable 
invisible creature. There's there's lots of different ways that you could interpret this, and I just don't think it's very clear. And also, just like one final point, apologies, Dave, I know that you're trying to come in, but one final point for me is that I don't think it's very clear that these two things are related. I know Alex and Dave are disagreeing, but I when I was watching the Gordy thing, Gordy is essentially an animal that is reacting violently after being provoked basically kept it within captivity something happens and it goes berserk the alien for me is completely different like different animal metaphorically and literally that is going on this sort of months-long mass murdering rampage completely unprovoked so it's like two completely different characters at all and this whole thing about like not looking the creature in the eye i just find it like i can understand that for like a, a chimp or like a bear or something that is earthbound but we're talking about an alien does an alien even know what a fucking human eye is and what it means to make eye contact or to avoid eye contact it's just ridiculous <laughs> well it's an alien film all right sorry <laughs> dave the motivation isn't clear um, yeah. but it's a scene uh, there's quite a lot of things to pick apart that i don't need to rehash all of the, there was a uh, lot of stuff there and i've got a, i've got an awful you've got lot the notes i'm watching you pick the notes you've got the <laughs> i was making those frantic there was an awful lot there gav reeled off about three minutes worth of stuff everything he was saying is like yes all of that is in there and all of that is there to be digested by the audience if we're going to talk about my interpretation of it because jordan peele doesn't spell it out for you he doesn't have you know some scientists come in sit you down and, and give you all this like unnecessary dialogue explaining to you exactly what is going on you know the movie's key themes are spectacle and exploitation alex has already listed that uh, but particularly people's respect or hubris or lack of respect for these spectacles duke survived the gordy incident and he profits from it. He has a little room behind his office with all memorabilia from, from the short-lived Gordy TV show. And he enjoys, you can see it in, uh, in Stephen Young's eyes when he's recounting the story to OJ and M. He really enjoys talking about that day. You'd think it'd be a traumatic thing that no one would ever want to revisit the day. You know, Gordy wasn't, it was just a wild animal. You know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a killer chimp. It was a balloon went off. It got scared. And it went, it went a bit berserk for a bit. It, it lashed out. And it's just a wild animal. Well, that's all it is. And Duke talks about it like he had this connection with it. He talks about the first ever fist bump on TV. And the fact that once the chimp calmed down, it kind of regressed to its training, saw him, and offered him a fist bump before it was gunned down by the, by the set security. And he sees that as, like Alex said, as kind of a... He had this connection. He's got a survivor's mentality now because he had that connection with the animal. When no one else could calm it down, when all of his co-stars were either maimed or even killed, he was unharmed because he had that connection. He has this way of controlling, not controlling animals, that sounds you know too far-fetched, but he's got this survival element to him, you know, this kinship with wild animals. And that's where his hubris comes in. You know, this hubristic approach to Jean Jacket, which is the creature, uh, ultimately leads to his death and the death of his family and the death of about another 70 people who are visiting his ranch that day. Uh, Michael Wincott's character makes reference to Siegfried and Roy when he's talking about Jupe's death. You know, the same guys who trained these animals and then got careless with them. One day, one day, he got careless with them, bite it on the head of the microphone, and Roy suffered life-changing injuries from that point on. And his attitude contrasts with OJ. Your, your lead character. Duke believes that an understanding and a friendship can be achieved with these wild animals, whereas OJ respects the animals, but acknowledges their unpredictability, their volatility. He believes that an animal can be worked with, 
and handled, but complacency with them will lead to injury and maybe even death. He talks about if you encounter a boar or you encounter a bear in, in the wild, that's a confrontation you want to avoid. And you think about the eyes that Gav was saying, looking at a creature in the eye, it was very much like a gorilla. You know, if, if any of us are unlucky enough to encounter a gorilla in the wild one day, do not make eye contact with it. That is the last thing you should be doing. Um, and, you know, we keep talking about alien, UFO and alien. At no point does Jordan Peele say this is an alien. It could be something terrestrial. It could be something that's lived on this earth for millennia, for all we know. We don't know enough about it, and he doesn't care to explain it. He's deliberately vague. And when people ask him about all these multiple interpretations, which, you know, I had my interpretation of the film, and people had all these different questions about, oh, but, what, but why did this happen? And he, Jordan Peele is just very coy and says, I filmed everything linear. I didn't play with the time frame. All the answers are there for whatever it is you're looking for. And he says, he said, I know how I interpreted it, but I'm really interested in what you guys thought. And he's deliberately coy about it. He's deliberately vague, but I think everyone more or less comes to the same conclusion. It's like when they talk about Michael Wincock's ca uh, character of Antlers Holst. People are like, why does he sacrifice himself at the end? And someone said, oh, maybe it's got something to do with, um, you know, he, he's the worst elements of, of the, the cinematic lifestyle. You know, you, you, you're willing to throw your life away for this shot, this final shot, you know, people whose art consumes them. And I, I don't think it's that at all. If you look at him throughout the film, he's coughing, he's popping pills. He drinks yeah. water when the rest of them are drinking beer. The man's dying. Atlas, and, and it never, you never see like a doctor's diagnosis. You never see him sat in a doctor's office. It, he doesn't have to spell it out. If you're paying attention, you'll see it's there. The man's not well. He wants the shot of a lifetime, as he calls it. He never said it had to be his lifetime. So he's happy to throw himself away at the end of the film as long as he's recording and gets that shot on the way out. Yeah, but it's he doesn't there. get the shot, though, does he? He does get the shot. He's yeah, filming the whole time as he dies. Yeah, 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 but, but that, that, that is destroyed with him. We well, he's not know. bothered about that, is he? We know, the, we know the creature can't process inorganic material. That's why, it spewed, that's why the nickel got spat out, essentially, and killed OJ's father. The camera wouldn't be digested. Now, it might be damaged in the drop, but there's a good chance that that footage will survive. And I think that's what Holster's counting on. And again, it's not spelled out for you. know, It's not their set in stone, this is what it is, but it's your take on it. And, and I, think, um, I think Jordan Peele's been very clever in the way he does that. And the final thing I want to make is you know, this, the originality. You know, Gav made a lot of points about how original or unoriginal this film is. And there is definitely a Spielberg element to it. You know, there's homage here. But the film can pay homage to its multiple influences and still be original as long as it adds up to more than just the sum of its parts, which this film absolutely does, then you can still achieve originality. Spielbergism was something that was people talked about. And if you remember the market, it was, it was very clever marketing uh, for this film. But like Alex said, that's not what I'm trying try, unfortunately. You remember the posters were your lead characters looking upwards. The one thing they shouldn't do if they want to survive the film. They, you, you don't want to look up. Have you heard of the, the, there's a trope that Spielberg always uses at some point in his films when his characters are confronted by spectacle, you get that shot of them all looking up and he shoots it from the same angle downwards, looking up at his characters, just as Peel did his posters, making fun of the Spielberg thing. But if you look up and you look at the spectacle that's being exploited before your eyes, you lose your life, essentially. And that's how he spins Spielberg. He acknowledges Spielberg. He plays homage and respect and whatever you want to do but he flips it into something completely unexpected and that's the beauty of the film and that's how the genius of jordan peele to be perfectly honest with you he wrote this film while he was in uh, stuck in a covid lockdown and that's why the film takes place outside because it's where he longed to be like, i want to go out i don't want to be indoors but there was something like there was still a palpable fear of going outside because there's something in the air 
Um, yeah, I just think his influences, mm. and, you know, the things he was watching at the time, even the design of the angel is kind of biblical, but it also, it's, there's an anime he was watching at the time as well that kind of influenced the, the creature's design that it would look like an old angel. Uh, as the biblical as the bible would, would outline them you know that's why there's a bible quote at the start of the film and you can almost imagine if you if you did see these things millenniums ago people being sucked up into the air you might think oh he's been taken up into heaven by an angel it's like, you could you could interpret it as any sort of divinity there's so many layers to it really and it is ultimately very original i can see how uh how anxious you are to say something here alex you want to just top a little bit off and then go back to Kathy? <laughs> No, just, uh, just you know, I mean, couldn't say what Dave said any better. Like, I agree with everything he said. Uh, just when Dave was talking about the themes and how, you know, I disagreed with something Dave was saying when he was talking about how why um, Holst's reason for going up into the, you know, I, I think it's something slightly different, but it doesn't matter. And I think, you know, you could say Gav was saying, well, why, you know, you don't understand, you don't know all of these things that are going through. And I think some films deserve the benefit of a doubt. You know, if we were watching Crank, and we're not quite sure what's going on, then that's possibly, do you know what I mean? We need to know all, you know, <laughs> Fast and Furious and, you know, and, and all of these films, and you're not sure what's going on, then that's clearly a problem and you don't know what the themes are in the film. But in the film that's as rich as this and is clearly as well thought through and, and got all of these things, we can give it the benefit of a doubt. I think Jordan Peele's definitely deserved to be able to not have to tell a story and explain everything and still we can, we can, we can interpret different things and enjoy talking about it. And, and I think there's a place for films like this. And, you know, to say that everything needs to be clear, I don't think that's fair. Gav, uh, let's throw it back to you. Um, in some regards, you know, the guys here are throwing out an argument which we'd have used as a, as a negative so often that a film is, is unclear. It's everything, everywhere, all at once to, uh, to take, <laughs> take a title from, a, from a, a classy film we may be talking about in the near future. And yet, and yet, in this this regard, it, it's a great thing, you know. It's art for art's sake. Whereas Fast and Furious, which I might add, has got some of the the greatest films of our generation in its franchise, uh, we wouldn't give it that, we wouldn't give it that benefit. Where, where's your Where's your head at on that one, Gav? You can talk about something completely different if you'd rather shoot something else down. But uh, I, I I don't understand the question. I, I think um, what what I would <laughs> it's what I would disagree with is that. Yeah, I think it's all very well in saying, oh, we'll give Jordan Peele the benefit of the doubt here to answer all these unanswered questions. But as Alex said, you know, he deserves for us to give him the benefit of the doubt. If this was another film there, if this just was another sci-fi horror that came out around the same time, directed by somebody else who wasn't this visionary new director, would we give them the same benefit of the doubt? Or would we come away from the cinema asking all these questions, saying, what the fuck was this about? I think it's I think it's the latter. I think that Dave has jumped to some conclusions there, which I don't think are I don't don't think that that, that you would watch this film and go, yeah, that's what's happened there. And and maybe that's one of the beauty of the film. You know, one of is that you can watch it and you can come up with your own interpretation. I watched that and thought Anders Holst was a case of fuck this, I'm dying. Yeah, I picked up on that bit and i'm gonna go out doing what i love sort of thing the thing about saving the footage i know it doesn't digest inanimate objects but dropping a camera like 100 feet from the sky is gonna break it and damage the the footage i didn't think at one point yeah that footage is, is saved plus the whole sort of going through an alien's digestive system might knacker it up as well and th there was just so many 
points like that when I came away and I was speaking to Siobhan about it. I said, what did you think about this bit? And she said, oh, I thought it was this. And I was like, oh, really? No, I thought it was, it was actually this. And maybe that's good to have a little bit of debate now and again, or maybe like have, you know, like the end of the Italian job where you're like, oh, what do you think happens next? Or the end of the thing where you're like, oh, which one of them's the thing? What do you reckon? That, that's good. But when, when there's so much of it, there's so many of those questions in one film, it feels a little bit like it was unfinished. It was unpolished. It was just put out there. And it's all very well and good, Jordan Peele coming out in interviews, being like, I meant it to be like that. And you guys have got to come up with the conclusion yourself. But I just think it's, I, I don't want to have to go away from a film and have to do homework and think about it too much. I want to be able to kind of come to, I just want it we'll spoon fed to, to me. I just, <laughs> just want to get in the cinema, watch things and I go home. Want, like, like, I don't I even want to remember it. them. The I just want to, to say this is family. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see things and then leave. And that's all I want to do. Jordan Peele making me think. Fuck Jordan Peele, man. I've had to think too much of this film. No, it's one question, one question and like Dave's honest opinion. And, and Alex as well. Uh, why did the alien piss all over the house? <laughs> right, well, he didn't piss over that. He released um, a lot of blood. I thought, yeah. yeah, a lot of blood, and and also the bits that he couldn't digest of the of Ricky Jupe and his family and the people, and what have you. So that that that's that bit. I thought it was a territorial thing <laughs> because. It, it, Sometimes it kills to feed, which is the horses and things like that, but it hunts at night. The Ricky Jupe thing I thought was because people were muscling in on its territory. It was getting intimidated, and it was just basically like like Gordy, kind of not a response to, oh, I'm going to kill these people. Just it was a, a fear response. It was a reaction. And after killing the people at the park, at the ranch, it then moved on to the house, the other people who are kind of in its territory, in its zone, and it's marked its territory. It doesn't have to kill them. It marks its territory. Right. I would say, I don't know. That was an unanswered question for me. But I think that's part of the film is you're watching it from the perspective of these characters that are trying to figure out the rules of this. They're trying to not only figure out where, where the aliens come from, they're not really even bothered about that. They're just trying to figure out the rules. They look down or something like this. So there are unanswered questions. And that's why, you know, you don't know these things. You don't know that they can look down. It's not a film that gives you these tricks and uh things to know you know so you know more than the main characters you don't know so and that's not and that's not talked about and i think that's fine i think that adds to the thrill of the film that these things happen and they're quite eerie and unsettling so i think i mean i was absolutely fine with that no i want it spelled out to me with alphabets <laughs> alphabet spaghetti you want <laughs> jordan <laughs> jordan beale to be sat next to you holding your hand yeah. just whispering it into your ear didn't you um, just I like want, and then i want to <laughs> me, put me to bed <laughs> who, who doesn't who doesn't want that but also if you don't want to think about it, if you don't want to like garner your own reasons behind it it's a hell of a scene you know that scene with the blood dripping down the house is a spectacular moment <laughs> in horror you know even if you don't want to work out why you can just enjoy the what's happening in front of you, and it is a startling moment in horror. Yeah, I'm, and and that's that's not. I'm, I completely agree. Lots of beautiful scenes, very well done, but lots of questions behind them, and lots of like, yeah. mm, I mean, why is that the case? You know, we're talking about the horror for the film. You know, it is. There are moments that are frightening <laughs> when you see the people like up in the digestive tract of the and you realize what it is it's not yes. an, a spacecraft it's eaten them and it's like and they're still alive and they are coming to the realization of what's happened to them it's like oh jesus it, the, it's and then you know when you when you see it like hovering around at night and you hear like a kind of 
screeching sound as it's going. It's like, oh, I wonder what that sound is that follows it. And then when there's more people inside it, you understand it's people screaming inside of it. It's like, what? oh, fuck, that, that, that <laughs> chills down your spine moment. I suppose that first time was the horses, wasn't it? Because it's Could the horses been, yeah. it's been eating in the beginning, you yeah, know? Yeah. So the, this yeah, is why it's, 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 it's so rich that you can even now, I've watched it twice, and you can still come away being like, oh, that's that bit. It's, um, it's, it, I just think it's fantastic. And like Dave said, that bit where, where they're, they're climbing up and they're going up and up and up, I, I just found that really stuck with me for like, yeah. for, de for days and months. Like, so when it's you think still about. With me now. It's yeah. Still with and, me now. and when you think about alien abduction films and, you know, it's like, oh, what the alien's going to do? Well, that is like, oh my God, that is absolutely terrifying. Just the, the way the, the inside of the alien is filmed and created absolutely terrifying i i thought the whole design of the alien being some sort of like biblical sheet uh, very innovative and and fascinating really really sticks with you god it's such a good film <laughs> <laughs> and another flourish there i love the way we were uh, really really rounding out these arguments um i think i've let you all argue enough about what's going on here can we have some Maybe let's do some closing statements and touch on the things which we didn't deal with. So mm -hmm. I know that people, are, you know, raised these points early on that they want to talk about characters and I don't know soundscapes, visuals, all the rest of it. We've we've touched on them slightly, but let's get them just out of the way in short, snappy closing statements. And if there's a flourish, I am gonna give you an extra point. Uh, who wants to go first? I will be. I will be as quick as I can. Uh, I'll just say. A few points about characters and performances, and I think uh, the performance of the film is Daniel Kaluuya's. He is superb leading man. There's a reason why Jordan Peele wrote this role with him in mind. They'd worked together on Get Out before. He was a perfect choice. OJ is quite a taciturn character, man of few words, but the the, the looks in Daniel Kaluuya's eyes, his eyes say more than words ever could. He is a fantastic actor, perfect man for this role, and he's absolutely spellbinding. I thought Kiki Palmer as his sister M was superb, and I thought Stephen Yeun and the rest of the supporting cast, Michael Winker, of course, this is a solid supporting cast. Everyone does exactly what is required of them. Jordan Peele is clearly a fantastic director and knows how his characters should be behaving and how to get the best out of his actors. And my final closing statements are just to say that instead of retracing the footsteps of those who've gone before or mill around about in the same lands that have been traversed thousands of times before, Jordan Peele has proven yet again that he can still break fresh ground in an often oversaturated and stale genre. You know, he remains innovative. He remains fearless with his originality in this genre uh, and having one original concept for a horror movie uh, you think would be impressive for a director this guy's three for three he's got three original concepts for his first three films uh, and he's created compelling authentic original films he jordan peele is hollywood's current master of horror for sure well there we go gav and beat that I, I'm going to disagree with the point about Daniel Kaluuya. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely... Not Daniel. Love... I know, Come I know on, Gav. <laughs> I... Let's just do being silly now. <laughs> no, listen, listen. listen. Like, I think that his character, not Daniel Kaluuya, right? like, like, I, have right. Words, okay. I don't have anything to say about okay. Daniel Kaluuya. It's the character is a bit underwhelming. Now, undoubtedly daniel kaluuya is a great actor i just think that the character wasn't very well defined here which resulted in his appearance and performance being a little bit subdued and i know the character is supposed to be emotionally reserved supposed to be like the strong and silent type 
But when you have seen his performances in films like Widows, Queen and Slim, Judas and the Black Messiah, and especially Jordan Peele's earlier work, Get Out, it just feels like a waste of his talents. It feels like there's so much more that he can offer and he's being restricted. That's why I didn't like his performance in this. Or some of the other characters aren't really fleshed out that much. Angel Torres, he just feels like a bit of a superfluous comic relief character. Keith David, don't get me even started on Keith David. So underutilized, it sets me to think about it. <laughs> he just died, doesn't he? I mean, he can't use him after he's dead, can he? <laughs> <laughs> Force ghosts. Force ghosts. <laughs> yeah, but with regards to the film itself, Nope is like buying a chair from Wish.com. In the original advert, it looks absolutely incredible, so you buy it. It then arrives late. But the packaging and presentation is truly beautiful. So you're, you're, you're okay with it. Right? Until it's just the nice right? flash. Right? <laughs> right? It goes much further. Until you open the box and it isn't quite what you ordered. It looks a bit like a poor imitation of the item. And then you actually have to assemble it yourself. It doesn't come ready made. And each leg looks like it belongs to a completely different chair and there are too many parts that don't seem to go with the chair or add any value to it but are just glued on for the sake of it and once assembly is over you're left with this frankenstein's monster of a chair which wasn't what you ordered and although on the surface it looks completely fine you know would absolutely crumble under your weight if you actually sat on it <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favourite kind of chairs, getting, by the way. Why would you sit on a film, though? No. Why would you? Sit? <laughs> I don't understand. Great, great uh, points for the analogy. Just like, a, just like a lot of the points in Nope, Alex. It's all surface <laughs> level. You don't have to understand it. Go away and debate it afterwards. Not having Joel, not having Joel on your team for a couple of weeks has meant that you've really upped your game in terms of uh, what you're comparing things to these days. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm all here for him, man. It's, no it's more bodily fluids. From a shit <laughs> yeah. You yeah, haven't. Man. I know you haven't compared anything to shit once. Yeah. yeah. No. No. No human or animal <laughs> bodily fluids. <laughs> no, I. I am impressed, and I appreciate, guys, that um, I think we'd agreed that it was going to be uh, alphabetical order for the quiz uh, going forward. But uh, I, I've let you down once again, and I think one of you may have already guessed that that was going to happen. So um, <laughs> hopefully there is a quiz on the cards so that I can tot up my notes and I'll work out who's... Yeah, uh, I'll what, give I'll you just... one guess who's come to your rescue, as <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't worry, Ozzy. I got your back, Van. So this quiz, I figured that it's probably the only time that we can do this, maybe. It's a quiz about Michael Wincott, uh, specifically potential Michael Wincott deaths in films in... <laughs> A quiz I like to call Wincott or Losecott. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> does Michael Wincott live or die in the film? Okay, right. So question number one. Curtains, which is a 1983 slasher movie about a group of actresses auditioning for a role in a movie at a prestigious director's mansion. Michael Wincott plays the character of Matthew, who is the mansion caretaker. But does he Wincott or Losecott? Does he live or die? Uh, lose cot lose cot okay. win he's the real killer uh no so he does lose cot so that's a point to dave uh, oh. bonus question how is he found how does he die so a he's found folded in half inside a trash can 
B, he's found inside a secret closet with his broom sticking out of his mouth. Or C, he's found floating inside the casting jacuzzi after having been stabbed to death. Hmm. C sounds boring, but I'm going to go no. with that. I think C's true, but I want it to be the first two. Uh, <laughs> you want to be oh, both of them. Both yeah, of them. yeah, yeah, yeah. Folded, Folded in a with, with a <laughs> I, I think jacuzzi, personally. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It is the floating inside a jacuzzi. Well done, guys. So, question number two 1492 Conquest of Paradise, 1992 epic historical drama directed by Ridley Scott about the travels to the New World by Christopher Columbus and the effect that it had on the indigenous peoples. Wincott plays... It's Admiral... all good. <laughs> Wincott plays Adrian de Moxica, Columbus's arch enemy in the Indies, but does he Wincott or lose Cot? Lose Cot. Lose Cot. Yeah. I think I've seen... I think Wincott, I think he survives it. Well done, Dave. He does Wincott. Okay, Dave. <laughs> Everyone's a Wincott baby. That's the truth. <laughs> Number three, Dead Man, the 1995 Western, written and directed by Alex's favourite, Jim Jarmusch. The movie is set in the late 1800s and follows William Blake, a meek accountant, on the run after murdering a man. And Michael Wincott plays one of the three body hunters sent, sorry, three bounty hunters sent after Blake. Does he Wincott or lose Cot? I think he well and truly lose cots in this one. Dave, you're on it. He does lose cot. Bonus point. How does he lose cot? Does he uh, A? I... Oh, I, well, I was going to say, uh, Dave, he no, actually no, dies not... off screen, right? So yeah. the last we see of him, we hear a shot, and the next scene, we see Lance Hendrickson eating his hand, right? So what <laughs> I want to know is. I watched the deleted scene of this. <laughs> How oh, does did. he lose, Cot? Oh, a, does he talk so much that Lance Hendrickson shoots him seven times and then shoots his teddy bear? Does he, B, talk so much that Lance Hendrickson strangles him and then rips the head of the teddy bear off? Or does he, C, talk so much that Lance Hendrickson forces him to eat his own teddy bear and then the next day he dies whilst trying unsuccessfully to pass the bear's eyes. These are all great. <laughs> I mean, C would make quite the deleted scene. <laughs> I think it's going to be A. John beats the bear. Uh, it is A. Well done, Dave. You're on it. You get shot seven times. Okay, number four, Forsaken, is a 2015 Canadian revisionist Western film in which Wincott plays Gentleman Dave Turner, another bounty hunter sent to kill <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland's main character, John Henry Clayton. Wincott or Losecott? Up against Kiefer, Losecott. Yeah. Losecott. Oh, you're all wrong. He actually Wincott's. Ah. Oh. So once, yeah, it's very hard to find films where he actually survives, but I found <laughs> a few. Uh, number five, Along Came a Spider, 2001 American neo-noir psychological thriller and the second installment in the Alex Cross film series starring Morgan Freeman. Wincott plays the aforementioned spider, but does he Wincott or lose Cot? Definitely lose Cot. Yeah, you'd Definitely imagine so, wouldn't cot. you? He does lose yeah. cot. But how does he lose cot? Does he, A, get shot through a carton of milk by Alex Cross as to not create a spark to ignite a gas leak? That's it. Does he, B, get <laughs> shot through the head by the other killer, which leaves a perfect bullet hole in the mirror behind him? Or does he, C, get shot with a shotgun by Alex Cross, which comically sends him about 10 feet across the room? 
see. I mean, I want to say, I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's A, but I want it to be C. I want it to be like some sort of like slide whistle as he flies across the room. <laughs> I, I think it's A. Okay, right. Well, that's a trick question. That is the death of the serial killer from the first film, Kiss the Girls. I thought it was as well. I, you I was gonna son say, of a bitch. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say it might be Kiss the Girls, but I'm sure that's yeah. not someone. No, Ozzy, Ozzy has got it right. He is comically sent so far across the room. It is like a clip from a Benny Hill show. Now, number six, Strange Days, 1995, American cyberpunk film. Set in the last two days of 1999, the film follows the story of a black marketeer of recordings that allow a user to experience the recorder's memories and physical sensations via a device called a squid. Wincott plays the character Philo Gant, a music industry mogul, but does he Wincott or Loosecott? Loosecott. Wincott. A little bit of both, if I remember right from watching Strange Days. He's brain dead. So he's technically alive, but brain dead. So yeah, I'm going. I'm I'm going for a loss there, Dave. Oh, I'd call uh, that yeah. a I'd call that <laughs> Wincott. He's not dead. Heart's beating. Heart's four. beating, but he is brain dead. So. Four yeah. Wincott. That's a win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I tell you what. In the next episode, we can argue the moral and ethical. <laughs> so, uh, but, let's really get into that yeah, debate. Yeah. Let's really get into that debate. But for the time being, I've put it down as lose cock because I forgot that he actually survives. Uh, but it, I've put him down here as lose cock. So how does he lose cock? Is he a thrown off a building whilst wearing a squid believing that he's flying when he's clearly not does he b have his brain fried after being tricked into experiencing a tampered disc via his squid or c is he beaten to death by ray fines after calling him ralph one too many times <laughs> b it sounds like b anybody else it is 100 percent b b yeah yep there we go it is 100 percent b well done guys <laughs> Uh, number seven, Alien Resurrection, the fourth film in the Alien series. Wincott plays Frank Elgin, captain of the mercenary ship Betty. Elgin brings the Betty to the Auriga in order to sell kidnapped humans in cryostasis to General Perez. But is he, does he Wincott or does he lose Cot? Lose Cot, he's a baddie, isn't he? Sounds like he'd lose Cot. Lose Cot. Yeah, I think it's lose Cot. You're right. He does lose cot big, but how does he lose cot? Is it a? He's pulled through a floor panel and presumably has his insides ripped to shreds by an alien before disappearing below. Presumably, <laughs> we don't see, but I don't imagine that the aliens tickle him. <laughs> we must presume that he has his insides ripped out. Yeah. <laughs> does he b have his head bitten like an apple? by a weird alien-human hybrid baby? <laughs> or C, does he have his head forcibly pressed up against somebody's chest just as an alien pops out, which somehow is powerful enough to force its way through both somebody's chest and somebody else's skull? C, not true, but C. <laughs> I want it to I, be C. I think it's A. I remember it's Dan Hedaya's death is the being head bitten like an apple. Well, I think Michael Wincott dies like A, I think. Well, Dave, you're, you're right and you're wrong. He definitely does die A, but um, B was the de death of Brad Dourif, if you remember correctly. What a beautiful, uh, beautiful book. I'm uh, sure that Dan Hedaya as well, doesn't he get bitten in the back of the head? And he's just like, he what does, was, yeah, yeah. What he actually throws a grenade in. He like 
puts his hands oh, yeah. and he pulls a little bit of his brain out and he's like, oh, I wonder what that is. That's right. <laughs> I don't that's remember right. having jelly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, right. Number eight, Metro, 1997 action comedy starring Eddie Murphy about a cop who seeks revenge against a psychotic jewel thief played by none other than Michael Wincott. But does he Wincott or Losecott? Uh, Wincott. Losecott. I think Wincott. Does he live? Oh, Alex is the only one who's got it right. He loses. Losecott, big. But how does he Losecott? A, unable to escape a speeding truck, which then explodes. B, while speeding away in a sports car, Michael Rappaport shoots him and then the car crashes into a warehouse. Or C, after being forced to watch Eddie Murphy's Norbert, he strangles himself. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all going to go probably, isn't it? Uh, B? Yeah, B, why not? Uh, well, B does happen to him, but he survives it, and then A, uh, unfortunately, happens to B, then A. <laughs> B, then A. <laughs> so you're like, I, I, I win cut. I win cut. And then, <laughs> and then the truck blows up. And finally, number nine, The Three Musketeers, 1993 action-adventure comedy based on the 1844 novel of the same name. But does he win cut or lose cut? Right, and I've, I've just got written here, Dave, describe that death. Um, if I remember rightly, Chris O'Donnell has like a bit lost to him in a duel, and he's kind of like up against the window of the palace. And doesn't he pull a dagger out of his boot or something and knife him with that? Why not? That might be Robin of Chris O'Donnell with blood flying up his face. Whenever <laughs> he dies on the steps of the palace, the interior steps, but does he throw it? Does he throw it? I don't know. It's been a while. Okay, guys, that's it. That's it. The winner of that quiz <laughs> is Dave. Well done. But I think really we all won a little bit because we got to know Michael Wincott a little bit better. Excellent, excellent, excellent quiz. Thank you very much for saving my bacon there. Um, well done. On to what I think about the arguments here is that there's a lot of good and bad, it sounds, that it, there's a lot of unresolved items within there, but maybe intentionally so. You know, we've, we, we've witnessed Jordan Peele or JP, as I've uh, shortened them <laughs> to in my notes. And um, like a yeah, we've potato. witnessed them in two other films and, and across, you know, the, the comedy series leading up to this, uh, you know, to his, to his directorial stuff. We know how clever he can be. And, and, and quite often he's very knowledgeable. And, and I think it is, is, is very much gets the right tone in terms of not telling you enough. So um, I'm minded to, to lend myself to where Dave and Alex were saying though, that a lot of it probably was intentional. The, the lack of uh, the lack of telling you things, um, a bit of the characters being underwhelming. You know, maybe, um, maybe again though, that's part of the intentional items that you don't need to know everything about everyone. You only need to know what what they all know in order to experience the the uh, the the this, you know maybe dissatisfaction from Gav's point of view on this. But that sort of that lack of knowledge, you don't know the 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 meanings behind the alien or the the creature. So that gives that. You know, sometimes you do want things to just give you a little bit more on a plate so that you can sit back and just enjoy it for what it is. I liked Gav's arguments that it, it's pretty much a scene for scene remake of of films which, you know, JP probably enjoyed, which, you know, grew up on and, and have really influenced them. You know, that's not very original. It might be a lovely 
uh, a lovely way to spend your money and to spend the 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 film studio's money. But do we really need to watch Jaws all over again? You know when it's been done. But uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I'm uh, overall though. Yeah, I think Gav said that he's sort of treading in the, the footsteps of the people who've gone before him and, you know, just sort of sat in the shadows. And the thing I took away from Dave and Alex was that maybe actually he's he's standing on the shoulders of those giants, you know, and uh, I'm minded to lend myself that way that actually I think it was probably, a lot of it was probably meant and it probably all is on, on show for us to take away from it. You've just got to pay attention and re-watch it. Uh, the way it's meant to be. It's, so I'm, I'm going to put it on the hit list. I'm, I'm dubious that I may not enjoy it when I go to watch it, but um, I feel like that might just be, it might just be an attention thing. And it, it really is. If it's half as good as um, Get Out and maybe even three quarters as good as us, then it's still, it's still a hit. <laughs> Seven eighths as good as Gone in 60 Seconds. His next film is, yeah, nine tenths as good as this one, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to put it on the hit list, I think. Uh, it sounds like it, it deserves to be on the hit list. Okay, thank you very much, Ozzy. Let's find out some honest opinions. Dave, what did you really think of this? I really like this film. I genuinely do. Uh, I do think it's Jordan Peele's weakest film, um, but when you think how strong Get Out and Us were, that's not really much of a criticism. Uh, it's still a very good film. I stand by the majority of what I said. I do. I see what Gav means when he says the homages do come thick and fast at one point. And they do, but I do think they are homages rather than borrowing ideas. Um, so I think he is still winning on the originality stakes as far as I'm concerned. Very good film. I, I really enjoyed it. I've watched it a couple of times since it came out. So, yeah, it's a right list for me. Thank you very much, Dave. And Alex? Yeah, I think it's a very, very good film. I think there's something for everyone. I think on the homages sort of thing, I think oh, the only people who are going to get these homages are people who are really into films. And so other people aren't going to get them and then it's not going to distract it. And the people who do like films love homages. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't I don't think that's an issue at all. Um, I, I, you know, I went with my wife, who's not really into sort of these films at all. She really enjoyed it. And it was a really nice when we were walking back from the cinema. We were discussing it at length and, you know, all the way back talking about it. And that's very rare in a film these days. I think films often oversimplify and don't have any regard for the audience. And I think for a film that has the ideas and has enough respect for the audience to think that people can discuss and get it and come up with their own ideas, I, I really enjoyed it. I wish more films were like Nope. And I, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd actually say it was, I don't know, it's weird to think of what's as stronger and what's as weaker, but I, 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 it's right up almost on the line with me for, for, for all three of them, like Dave said. Your top three. Top three. <laughs> top three, Jordan people. No, three for three. You know, he's... Uh, I, I I I I just hope yeah I just I think he'll carry on I'm really excited to see what his next film is. Okay, thank you very much Alex. Uh for me I uh yeah I I really liked it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was it was hard because as I said the day before we started recording this is probably the longest that I've spent writing my notes up before a film because I was really struggling to kind of think of what to say. Uh, every time I sort of read an opinion piece about some criticisms from the film i would like oh well, i don't agree with that or oh, i don't know well, no yeah yeah i can answer that you know so it was, it was quite difficult to kind of put something that i was 
passionate about or something that I believed in. But so I, I did lie quite a bit, to be honest. But I, I think that some of the points that I made, uh, maybe seven eighths of the points that I made, are sort of <laughs> they, they could three, be three fifths. That's three not fifths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could be fair criticisms for somebody else. Like I'd, if somebody said them. I would be like, yeah, I can understand what you're saying, maybe, but I would then hopefully respond with what Dave and Alex retorted with. <laughs> so any sort of like fair criticism of the film, I think, can be explained, really. And yeah, I, I, I really, really did like it. I think I would agree with Dave. I think it would be my number three in, in the films of Jordan Peele not to say that it isn't a great film just because those other two films are just I'd say two of my favorite films of the 21st century and I'm not even exaggerating in this Goodness. Yeah. so <laughs> I will lower than our previous film on trial which was The Crow which scored 84% critical and 90% audience scores it's this is disgusting lower, but it's going to be lower the, crow, <laughs> the ratings of The Crow will all have been and, and I'm, I'm worried that it's going to reduce our ratings or get me kicked off the internet Goth <laughs> nerds <laughs> will have rated the crow through the roof so listen right. be just because i submitted <laughs> four or five different reviews doesn't mean that i'm a fucking goth nerd all right ozzy's right though isn't he no, he's not right. <laughs> he's right that it's lower. Yeah, it is lower. It's 83% critical, so just one lower. And then 69% audience scores, so much lower than I expected, to be honest. Uh, 69% seems silly. That uh, seems too low. Yeah, very what harsh. I'm thinking of, and, and I have read some of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes where I was writing my arguments, uh, people were sort of expecting a horror film and they got uh, more of a sci-fi and mm. I think that's what it what it was basically, and and I, mm. I think it's unfair to blame Jordan Peele for that. I think that yeah, that is to do with the yeah, I think it is because there are some real horror moments, and you know that digestion yeah. scene that lives in my head rent free. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It has since I saw it, but, but I've got to admit, Kat did say she thought the film was a little too long. So there are there are criticisms to be. I, I can't help feeling sometimes you make one amazing film, people are like amazing, fantastic. You follow up with the second one, oh, you're fantastic. And then when you do the next one, I feel like there's just a bit of jelly starts coming into it, and people start going, oh well, you know, and start picking it apart and stuff. I don't know. I I think as time goes on, people will. I think you'll find it harder to to escape the criticism. But I, yeah, I just don't think it's fair. Okay, thanks very much, guys. So. Uh, that is it. it, it we have concluded our Michael Wincott season. Uh, it's one, one, it's over. one. It's you know, it's one on the hit, one on the shit. Michael Wincott is a fifty-fifty actor. We could say, will we ever put another Michael Wincott film on trial? Who knows? But next week we're starting another season. You guys are in for a treat because as it's Oscar season or it's awards season, we thought that we would do a season celebrating one of the performers who is being recognized for their work this year and that performer is angela bassett who has been nominated for her role within wakanda forever for best supporting actress and she's won a, a critics of choice awards for it as well so we're celebrating angela bassett by having angela bassett season and we're kickstarting things with olympus has fallen 
So just want to say thank you very much, everyone, for all your arguments. Thank you to everybody who's listened to this episode. We really do appreciate you all taking the time out to listen to these episodes. If you want more Films on Trial content, go on, go and check on filmsontrial.co.uk and you can listen to us on any streaming platform. Check us out on all the socials, at Film Trials on Twitter and Films on Trial on everything else. So what have we learned today? Well, we've learned that The Crow is beloved by goth nerds and nobody else <laughs> apart from that nope is firmly on the hit list and we're going to be back in your ears in two weeks time as we start our new season with angela bassett's olympus has fallen <laughs> goodbye it was obvious that um from the defense side there, there was a lot of passion in the arguments actually it was really obvious that this needed to go on the uh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, although you did almost win with the uh, the wish chair, that was uh, a. <laughs> that was a really. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. very well done. Clearly, Gav writing his notes and just looking at a shit chair from. <laughs> <laughs>